Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello there, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. And as you can probably hear from the background noise, we've got another episode of The Only Human in the Van. Um, Yeah, I'm driving to work on a rainy Friday and I've just had a series of experiences, um, both with some one-on-one coaching clients, some wonderful healthcare humans I'm supporting in a one-on-one way, as well as a recent workshop that I did. And this like theme is emerging and I want to just get my thoughts out about a kind of exercise that I've been finding really powerful to invite myself to do and also to invite all of you to do. Um, Because I think... uh, Anyway, so the name of the exercise, um, I'm calling like the re-preceptoring exercise, I guess. To be honest, this conversation is me figuring out exactly what it would look like. So, you know, this is like creating a reflective exercise while driving to work. Um, Because I know, I think I know all the elements it needs. It's very much... um, I have personally done and like read a lot about all the different methods that people use to do reparenting work. So um, the notion of reparenting work is, um, you know, lots of us were raised in environments that um, didn't always have the most secure emotional attachment base, right? Um, If you're kind of using like attachment theory terms, or I don't know, different kinds of psychotherapy and psychology would have other terms for like, you know, your, your inner child was wounded and, um, you had like, I think a lot of us have these sort of seminal moments from childhood where, you know, we felt alone and, and we felt disconnected from other people and, uh, we didn't feel safe. Right. And, um, those could have been events where like literally our bodily um, safety was um, in harm's way, but even also just like emotionally, you know, we um, had an experience where um, we were wounded emotionally, where we were shamed or where we laughed at or, or we were even just like really upset about something that happened. And then those who um, our brain identified as our caregivers and the people that um, as we grow up are you know, our brains are looking to, to nurture us and to, to believe us and to validate us and to, to meet our emotions and our, everything that we are, our whole humanity with sort of curiosity and love and acceptance. You know, it's not that many humans that really have had that experience a hundred percent through their childhood. And then often those are the wounds that we take into adulthood, right? So, um, I am not going to, make this a reparenting podcast because I, I know about it tangentially. But I, I've also been thinking because, you know, my work is about 
really focusing on the ways that shaming inhuman medical culture ideas that we have baked into our healthcare system and the culture that exists in it that those live inside of us and they cause so much harm like perfectionism and imposter syndrome and um uh what we how we treat ourselves when we make mistakes how we treat ourselves when we're afraid of being sued um people pleasing you know like the whole gamut and a lot of those to be honest are from childhood wounds for sure but I think they get really extra reinforced in our training and as well as probably some early, like early on in our career. So I haven't yet found a healthcare human who's come to me who hasn't had at least one, if not a series of really painful experiences where, you know, maybe it was the time they made their first mistake or maybe they actually when we look at it, didn't make a mistake, but they encountered a patient that they interacted with that had a really tragic outcome, maybe an outcome that was preventable in some way. And now this, this healthcare human feels they've blamed themselves, right? And so many of us have had experiences where we did not feel safe. We felt, and we did not feel connected with other people. We felt unsafe and alone in that experience. We didn't feel like it was a safe environment to fully unpack that with the people who were in theory supposed to be there to help us learn, to help us grow. Um, And what I've learned is our brains in order to fully learn really need to feel safe and supported. There's this amazing video I talk about all the time. gosh, I should really know the guy's name by now. I think his first name is Jacob. Oh dear. Um, he is a psychologist, I think in New York city and, um, he works and talks about trauma. And I really love the way in this one video, he is describing in really simple terms, the two states our brains can be in based on if we are being triggered, um, like, and have like a history of a lot of trauma or not, um, and how that impacts our ability to learn. So, um, there's our survival brain mode and in survival brain mode, this is like our sympathetic nervous system. We are fight, flight, freeze, fawning all over the place. We are, um, very black and white, right and wrong, very rigid and, um, very, you know, just the experience of it is very tense. We are on alert. We are hypervigilant and we're really focused on ourselves and our safety and our survival. So I think a lot of us experienced survival brain and um, environments that triggered our survival brain in our medical training. Um, Environments where it felt very unsafe to be a lot of the things that we were being, like say sad or stressed or tired or or scared, um, unsure, you know, just like the simple one of like not knowing the answer to a question the fact that that triggered survival brain um, meant that then we were like, we have to know the answer or else like literally we could get kicked out of this program and, you know, basically die socially, right? So a lot of us spent most of our career in survival brain. But there's another kind of brain. There's another kind of state of our brain, which is learning brain. And the thing is with learning brain, that is, you know, um, his analogy for our parasympathetic nervous system or rest and digest, um, calmer, uh, more compassionate, more resourced 
date. As this title um, alludes to, learning brain is when we actually learn best. It's when we can actually hold multiple ideas in our brain at once. We can do that really deep, rich, complex thinking that we that really serves us to do if we are going to, you know, do something as complex and nuanced as, you know, take care of other humans and their bodies and their behaviors and everything. And yet so much of how, you know, our our society is set up and our education system is set up is really like, you know, the eat or be eaten survival brain friendly versus learning brain friendly. And just to say explicitly what um, this video says, and I'm definitely going to link this video in the show notes, just so you know, um, learning brain needs support. Like in the video, he uses the example of baby elephants, like baby elephants learn through play. But of course, baby elephants are like out on, you know, the Serengeti plains and you know there could be a cheetah so the the way like when it is time for the baby elephant to learn is when he is he or she is surrounded by a giant group of mama elephants and all those mama elephants are protecting like literally they stand in a circle around the baby elephants and then the baby elephants feel safe to play and it's through play that they actually learn everything they need to learn to someday grow up and be their own mama or papa elephant like it's 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 not just like for fun that that we play play is how we learn and explore the world and that's true for us as humans both as children and as adults actually and it and so and it's true in terms of the kind of learning that is is integrated into us in the healthiest way in the way that it's sort of meant to be into our bodies in, in a way where we are not being driven to perform at all times in order to stay alive, which is what a lot of us feel like. Like, I have to have perfect notes. Otherwise, basically, my body thinks I'm going to die. I have to see every patient that asks to see me. Otherwise, something feels very unsafe about saying no. Like, those are some of the, the hints that your your brain has been really primed into survival brain instead of learning brain, you know? And um, so the way that we can invite our brain to practice reaccessing the learning brain state is through being our own mama elephants and putting ourselves in environments with people who can act as mama elephants for us. Like that's a lot of what I do as coaching. I'm like basically holding space and like mama elephanting for my clients so that they can do kind of the interesting but that feels threatening work of really looking at their thought patterns and looking at their behaviors and considering how they can change to rehumanize their experience you know and so um, I say all of that as like a giant I mean okay so that's already its own episode there you go Um, me just talking through learning brain and survival brain which I think I may have before but it's just so rich that it's always worth repeating But when I first watched that video, like my main aha moment wasn't even about myself. Like it wasn't in, it was in the context of another program, but I was like, oh my gosh, what are we doing to our poor medical learners? Our medical learners, like I said, and my experience as a medical learner was absolutely survival brain based. It was perform and like dance for your preceptors so they like you enough to give you good evals. Like the amount of learning I'm aware I didn't do during my medical training is vast. I was like 
you know, like gobble up enough facts to pass the gauntlet of this particular rotation and then immediately forget them all because I don't actually need to know them necessarily for life. I just needed to know them to survive. And I mean, some of them still stuck around, especially the ones where I actually had an experience of it with a patient. I mean, our brains are always learning. Like even when we're in survival brain state, our brains are learning something. But the problem is they're often also learning a lot of unhealthy, painful, traumatic stories about ourselves. And so circling all the way back to the re-preceptoring concept, like a ton of us had these scary experiences, these really upsetting experiences, and those alone are, you know, those are like a wound, you could say. But what makes a wound potentially become traumatic, where now it has an impact now, decades later, you are still impacted by what happened to you back in residency or medical school or nursing school or, you know, whichever um, training you were a part of, um, is how your preceptor acted towards you before, during, and after. Were they a a mama elephant to you or were instead they like a shaming witness to you? Like, I mean, some, some of them, I mean, I know I had a solid handful of preceptors that were like actively shaming like what's wrong with you why don't you know the answers like you know and and you know public humiliation and like all of these horrible things and also even some of the ones that are like were nice that I would consider preceptors that were generally good and kind I am aware because of you know just the system we've all been raised in and how we are all on our own journeys like there are, there are more subtle ways of shaming an experience. So like, say I had a really upsetting encounter with a patient and it really shook me. And like, therefore my most vulnerable parts of me are really like, oh my gosh, am I a bad person? Did I do something wrong? Am I like dangerous to other people? Like I have deep questions that I'm scared to even ask and I'm feeling very wounded about and and I'm like terrified that I've impacted a patient in a bad way and if I go to a preceptor and I start to debrief with them you know of course if they're like what's wrong with you why are you emotional suck it up buttercup that's going to be shaming but also even if a preceptor is more subtle it's just like oh don't worry about it oh it's not a big deal or like um oh, I know it's hard. It's hard for me too. It's hard for everyone. We're all just gonna, we just all kind of have to deal with it. Like kind of minimizing it. It's still just like not saying like, wow, how are you? What was that like for you? I believe you. Yes. Like, you know, in that really connected way, anything other than that, even if it's like kind platitudes, but that you still feel dismiss or minimize or make you feel silly for sharing your feelings familiar familiar to me um all of those then can really make those experiences really painful and then we can learn a lot of bad things about ourselves in human stories like I make a mistake and um my preceptor dismisses me. So instead of having someone to really process it with, my brain then says, well, there must be something wrong with me then. I must be really a bad, horrible person who's pulling the wool over other people's eyes. And that's where like imposter syndrome comes up. It's like, wow, you know, I must, I'm a lot. I'm too emotional. I better suppress all these parts of myself more. Or, you know, say the experience was actually something where 
you you didn't show up the way you wanted to maybe you rushed when you usually are more thorough and so then you take the message that wow the one time that I rushed instead of thorough I something bad happened now I must be excessively thorough and I must always take double and triple the time with every patient because I never want that horrible experience again you know um something the opposite could happen you could really go you know five miles out of your way for a patient and then something bad happens and then you learn the message like it's never useful to go the extra mile for a patient and then you become cynical cynical and like close off to the part of yourself that does want to be flexible and generous with patients sometimes like it actually see I wonder if you can see like it doesn't matter what the experiences were but it's more that like whatever you were however you showed up for that situation if you don't have an outlet from like a, a preceptor or, you know, some um, a figure who can hold space for you and have compassion for you, often then our brains will turn that into a must be a me problem. It must be that when I make mistakes, uh, that means I'm bad. No one else seems to make mistakes. When I don't know the answer, like I have an experience from medical school where I was asked to, you know, give my approach to a couple different things. And it was one of my first rotations in clerkship. And I actually just hadn't been familiar with that style of like, basically tell me everything you know about a certain presentation. Um, That hadn't really been how I had learned through like the studying part of my medical school. And so I gave a very insufficient answer according to that preceptor. And the preceptor looking back like he could have said like hey it seems like you're not that familiar with like how to present like how to show your knowledge in this way um and like ask more questions in like a a, a a considerate way like hey well what do you know about this what do you know about this you know like still helping me maybe consolidate my knowledge but instead he was like wow you don't know anything about this um like this is really I think I forget he said it was disgusting or he was clearly visibly disgusted with my lack of ability to like I was like approach to hypotension and like just honestly at that point I didn't really know what he meant by approach to hypotension whether I should have or not I like didn't know that you know there's a traditional way in medicine where you're like well you're supposed to go through all of the possible differentials like it's kind of a skill to say here's my approach you know and I didn't know it and so he was like okay well why don't you go back and look it all up and like don't come back until you know the answer and I was like okay do you have a suggestion of like where I should start and he's like how about all of Guyton's physiology I still remember and like so sarcastic like basically communicating to me like yeah you are insufficient for the stage of your training you're disgusting and listen maybe I was like say there's a certain stage that they are expecting that I would I would already know how to present my approach to whatever I didn't have it, okay? But the way he communicated that to me made me this wrong, horrible person. And so I went and looked up something and like shakily presented it to him. And like, I just still have this horrible full body experience of thinking of how that encounter went down. And, you know, this was, he was an anesthesiologist. And so we were in an operating room where other people were listening. And I was just like, I felt so, so shamed by that experience. And I will say... Um, I don't think I still really learned how to um, present an approach properly. I just went and read some things and barfed them out to him to, to survive that encounter. 
I don't think I learned really if what there would be to learn about a useful consolidated approach to hypotension. I think I've learned along the way more from, you know, experiences of people with hypotension, but it's really cobbled together. Like it was a really missed opportunity on his part to teach me when I had a gap instead of shaming me. So that's where I think that now we can have an opportunity to re-preceptor ourselves because I'm sure everyone has wounds. I have other stories as well I could tell. I'm almost at work. I'm clearly, this is like a two-parter, but um, that's what I want to do. So in the next part of this, where I actually go through what I think are the kind of core components of what re-preceptoring could look like, like kind of an experience you could offer yourself or work with a coach like myself to like go through a process of basically going back to a painful encounter like the one I just described being publicly shamed or whatever yours is and and then imagining if your preceptor had been different um, and it's not about even change like that preceptor stays the same but basically you go back and imagine like say you now could go back then what would you know what would you say to yourself? Like all the different things. Like those are kind of the components of like reparenting. Um, well, a reparenting exercise I've experienced. And I think they, they are powerful. I now know. I've done it with a couple of my clients. They can be a really powerful way to re-preceptor yourself. To heal some of these really painful, um, formative wounds that happen to us like within our medical training. Just a minute. Just gonna... Sign into the parking garage. Okay, I usually talk through it, but there was someone walking and I got self conscious. <laughs> oh, and now they're walking up this ramp. Hello, I want to move. Hello, friends, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So actually, I don't know if this needs to be two parts. I think what I'm going to do just right now at the end as I park is talk through what I think are the different components of what like a, a re-preceptoring process would look like. Okay. And I think what I'm going to do kind of like in a secret bonus thing just for the podcast listeners Um I'm going to have something linked in the show notes. So if you go to the show notes of this episode, um, it won't be like just available on my website. Um, it'll just be in the show notes of this when you go to, you know, just look at whatever podcast player you have now and look to the place where it says episode notes and it should be there. There will be a link to um, a page, a secret page on my website that has the re-preceptoring, re-preceptoring exercise. Okay. And um yeah, I just think this is one, I think it would be really powerful to do on your own at your own time. You Like, be tender with yourself. It, it's it's probably going to be at least mildly triggering in that it, it probably was at least a small T trauma, if not a big T trauma for you, like something that really wounded you enough at the time and was shamed enough at the time instead of having that mama elephant there to, to help you nurture and learn from it, that you you're, it's probably going to be activating you to you to re-remember it. And the act of re-remembering it 
alone isn't necessarily helpful or therapeutic or change this thing, but re-remembering it and then bringing the lens of yourself now as a compassionate, loving witness to yourself then, the preceptor you didn't have then, the mama elephant you didn't have then, bringing you now and acting as a mama elephant towards you then, that is such a powerful difference, honestly. That makes a huge difference in your body's ability to release the pain story you learned from that time and actually then start to shift and think through what, if anything, you do want to learn from that time or is it time to let it go, okay? So here are the different components. So first, like, um, I invite you to think of a time in either your training or in your early career, because that's usually where these moments happened, where you felt really scared, really hurt, really unsupported, alone, something that you maybe even kind of have flashbacks of now, you notice it informs something that you're doing now that you're not really in love with, but it just feels like a compulsive thing that it keeps coming up because it was so painful, traumatic for you to go through them. So imagine yourself going back now. So I'm going to use the example I just gave of like being publicly disparaged by the jerk face um, anesthesiologist. And um, so imagine going back then, you may want to spend some time kind of describing to yourself or your coach, like, this is what happened, just to sort of recall some of the details of the story and kind of put yourself back in that time. And including, you know, how you felt afterwards. What were the lessons that your brain was grappling with it? What were you scared might be true about yourself because of what happened? Like for me, I think I was just scared that I was too stupid to be in medicine. I was scared that this meant that I was a fraud, that I was I had hoodwinked everyone, that I was stupid, that I, um, you know, honestly, yeah, like... I think I still have that. Like I don't try and um, know facts anymore. <laughs> I have lots of facts in my brain, but it really wounded me from <clears throat> being interested in learning, especially in some of the more traditional ways, which maybe are useful. Like maybe it's useful to have a consolidated approach, but it was such a shaming experience that I was like, I'm too stupid to really know. I'm going to clearly have to just like, push myself and study hard and memorize everything because I'm too stupid to just know it. I have to push myself and study harder than other people and, and work to work to fool people into thinking I'm not as stupid as I am because this guy's discovered I am stupid. Like sitting with myself now, yep, that's the message that I like learned then and then didn't really feel like I knew who I could debrief with about it. I just, because also even like I had friends, like amazing people, but man, we are not really set up as a culture to know how to debrief these things. And even just for me personally, I had so many previous stories from childhood, etc. that like I didn't know how to reach out to debrief. I wouldn't have had the language that it's useful to debrief. I wouldn't have known not to just believe the story my brain was offering me that I was stupid, period. It's like, well, obviously I'm stupid. Obviously I can't share this with any of my friends in medical school or they will know I'm stupid. And so then the sh- that's what makes it such a shame story is like, it's so isolating and it's just like, oh God, I can now never be vulnerable and I have to try triple hard to know all the answers. Otherwise this could happen to me again. 
So I'm definitely never going to share how this happened because it will reveal the truth that I'm stupid, you know? So that's the lesson that I learned from it. And I just like take a sigh and just even sit with myself because that's a hard lesson to learn. And I just feel, I'm just like feeling how scared and sad and shooken up by that experience I was at that time. And then seeing how dismissive and disgusted my preceptor was at me. And so just the the opposite of a mama elephant, you know, not interested in my learning, just disgusted that I didn't already know. That's what he was to me. That's it. I saw him later in a different context. And I, I had a full body experience. Like I was on my surgery rotation then. And then he was an anesthesiologist in the room. He did not appear to remember me at all. I have no idea if he did or not, but I, and in fact, at one point he, he said to something kind of kind to me, but my, I don't remember anything else about that day. But I remember him. He was like, my body now perceived him as a total threat to me, you know? So I'm just like processing and remembering all of this. And I'm going to put my hand on my heart, you know, because it's hard to think about. But is I, I am now in a different time and space and am safe and I'm okay. But that was a hard time, you know? And so what I want to invite first, and for each of you as you're going through this, invite your wounded self, your learner self that was wounded to share, like I just shared, like, Hey, what are you afraid might be true about you because of what's just happened? Like, what are you making it about yourself? Because you don't, you're afraid it might mean something bad about you. Right. And so I'm afraid it at that time, I was afraid it meant that I was stupid, that I was not smart, that I was therefore a fraud in medicine, you know, and really let, let your wounded self speak as long as he or she or they need to. Um, you might want to have them write a letter to you or say it all out loud in like a space like while you're driving or say it all out loud to another person who's safe to hear it, you know, and just really listen and listen and witness. If you want, you can say to your past self, I hear you. I believe you, you know, because that's the second part. So then the second part is what you now in your resourced, more grown self Pretend you could go back in time and approach your scared self then. Not in place of the other jerk preceptor, but like maybe right after. Maybe and offer, basically offer your wounded past self the debrief you wish you had. So that's where you're doing all the good listening to them. And then afterwards, what do you want to do back? Like for me, I just want to give my past self a big hug. Ooh, it does make me emotional, you know. You just want to give them a hug. Consent-based hug, of course. I want to look at my past self in the eyes and say, Hey, I believe you. I believe that this was a really hard, painful thing. It's not silly. It's real. What you felt and what that situation made you feel was real. These emotions are real. I want to invite you not to believe the story that this means that you're stupid though, because what I see is that you were hurt by the way this preceptor treated you. This preceptor did not, wasn't interested in teaching you anything. This preceptor was interested in punishing you and humiliating you for what you already didn't know. You didn't know what you didn't know. You didn't understand the assignment. You know, 
after we do some healing, I would love to explore with you what you do know about hypotension if you want, because I bet you do know some things about it. But more important than whether you know a single thing about hypotension is that what just happened to you is not about your knowledge. And it's definitely not about your worth or your, your ability to do medicine. It is not a condition of your belonging. This doesn't mean you've failed and therefore can never belong. He hurt you in the specific shaming way that was wrong. That is not how a preceptor should treat a learner ever. And I know it has happened before and will probably happen again because the world's full of really shitty preceptors, folks. But like, I want to tell you past self, hurting self, this is not a you problem. This is a him and the whole shaming culture problem. You belong here. It is critical you know that you belong here just as you are with whatever number of facts that you happen to know about hypotension or not, even if that number really is zero, even if they flew out of your head. The knowledge isn't a condition of your belonging here. You are good. That's what I want to say to her. That's what I want to say. That's what I wish. I remember sitting in a bathroom stall outside the operating room and just saying to myself, you're not going to cry. Like just pushing it down because I knew it wasn't safe. There wasn't anyone, there wasn't anyone that I could be safe with to express it. And I was actually quite proud of the fact that I was able to talk myself down from crying because I am a very easy crier if you haven't figured out from this podcast. And I'm a little bit sad that that's what I felt proud of, but I'm also really just proud of myself. I'm proud of myself for surviving in a way that worked for that time. Even though it's wrong that I needed to create that ability to hold back my tears. I'm still proud of myself for figuring out a way to get through that, knowing there wasn't someone who was safe in that I knew in that room, in the operating room. Certainly not that preceptor at all. Asshole. <laughs> he was an asshole. And, um... Yeah. So it's sort of like imagining myself, you know, if they walked out of that bathroom stall and then me now was there, this is what I would want to say to her. And then a third part that can be useful is what me now wants to say to that preceptor. And it's not about hurting the actual human, but it's just like for my brain to really know that there's a part of me that will stand up for myself and will not allow other people to wound me without fighting back. And this sometimes, like, it's not about me now hunting this person down, but it is about the wounded part of me seeing that I, that she is worth fighting for. And so what I want to say to this asshole preceptor is, hey, fuck you. Why do you think that, are you interested in teaching people? I guess I would start there just to double check. Are you interested in teaching future doctors? Because if you are, I which part of what you just did to this early learner do you think will facilitate her learning? And you know, I can have a smudge of compassion that probably this is the way you were taught because you're an old white guy. <laughs> and But I don't have a ton of compassion because like, You've had a lot of years to figure out what it feels like to be unkind to people 
And what has happened to you that you've cut yourself off from the fact that clearly you have terrified this young woman, this young woman of color as well, just like for some of the facts of what was happening there. And you think that it's okay to just disparage her? Like, are you at all interested in teaching her? Because frankly, if you're not, you should just not even be a preceptor. Like you are, you are insufficient as a preceptor. You need to go back and get some humanity skills, some emotional regulation skills, and some just like, frankly, like basic teaching skills to understand that what you just did is not teaching. It's humiliation. It's abuse. So that's what, what me now wants to say to this fella. And it's important for me to say it because my wounded part is listening, like in my brain, the part of me that is clearly still tearful about it needs to hear that I am worth protecting, that I am a baby elephant that has mama elephants that will protect against these fuckers out there. Ooh, I've got to put an explicit language one on this, I guess, but I just really feel it strongly. Oh, and then, yeah, like, I guess the last thing is, I mean, checking back in with wounded self, how you feel it now. She feels like so much better. She feels more seen. She does recognize that really it was not about her knowledge of hypotension. She know it means your blood pressure's low. I don't know, um, which isn't good. It reduces blood flow to places. And yeah, like an approach. So what could be going on? Well, part of you could be bleeding out. Like, it's funny. I, I could now think of like, I don't know if I'd be doing it right in the way that he wanted me to give an approach to hypotension because it's like that's like a thing. But I know some things about hypotension. And if I was with someone safe who was interested in exploring like, hey, so say you had someone who had a low blood pressure. (laughs) What are some of the options of what you could think going on? What are the kind of questions and signs like like say I would ask in that way, I would have a lot to say. And I think it would be useful to learn that, especially in the context of surgery. Like, oh yeah, like, right. So what could be going on? Could be bleeding out? Could it be a medication? Could it be anaphylaxis? Like, right, like my brain right now, it's so funny. My like really shamed brain is like, I could see how if I had been treated that way, I would have then kind of had this blossoming of everything I did know about this particular topic (laughs) instead of it all being frozen down inside of me on top of this layer of shame, you know? And so she feels good. She feels like she does know some things. And she knows that even when she doesn't know some things, that's then something to learn. And I think imagining her having a series of preceptors like me now, I think she could have. And so me now can really integrate knowledge in a way that isn't scary. I think honestly, this will make me less resistant to CME. I'm not even kidding. I just always feel kind of dismissive. And I think part of it is that I haven't really connected before, except on this podcast with you guys. Like, I think the reason I'm like, oh, brother, that's not even worth learning is because there's this defensive part of me that thinks that not knowing it is a problem because of incidents like this formative incident and all the others along along the way. And so now I can approach like some kind of CME like, huh, is that a fact I know or not? 
interesting. Is that a, is that something that really fits first with my values? And also, would that be useful? Is that a useful thing for me to learn? How would I apply it? Would I apply it to a patient? Like, I can see how it just opens things up in a completely different way than the, oh, God, I need to know this fact. Otherwise, someone's going to berate me, which is what my learning. That's been my default learning style. <laughs> One of them, especially when I'm stressed, like it's been in there this whole time, folks. And um, I'm not saying now it's free and I'm like healed forever, but I can just feel that shift. And I can imagine, say I'm at a conference or something and I notice myself getting really anxious about not knowing something. I I will have a deeper awareness of one of the places that that came from and I can do this exercise again. (sighs) Okay, well, thank you all for listening to all that. Um, I hope it's useful to hear me go through it. I think... I find it useful to hear other people go through it to give you a sense of what it really looks like. So just to recap the core components, and I am going to write this out right now in a Google Doc and put it in the show notes, but like, so think of a time that, I mean, you probably were already thinking of time as I was sharing mine, but think of it a, a really painful experience that you still, you can still tell is impacting you now that was from earlier in your career. Um, so to talk, you know, talk through exact what that experience was like and how you felt and all the things and get yourself sort of back into that place as best you can in, a, in an environment that feels, you know, make sure you're in a cozy environment. You know, if you feel like it's going to be really activating, do it with someone else, like a therapist or a coach or a friend or whatever. And then sort of the three act, uh, pieces of the activity is, so the first two Picture yourself now going back and meeting that person then right after the incident happened, meeting yourself then, and do a compassionate debrief with them, which is to say, hey, tell me what happens. Tell me what's on your mind. Tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what you're afraid of now. And then just like listen listen to your past self. Let your past self breathe out everything that they need to say write it down or say it out loud and just like try and encourage your past self to express everything that they need to express and just listen and listen and listen and listen until they feel like they are done. And then the second part is to say back to your past self, whatever it is that comes to you to say, whatever it is that's from your heart. And if you're not sure what to say, just simply like, I believe you what happened to you is real. This is a real hurt. I love you. You know, give them a hug in your brain, like whatever, but whatever feels right for you. I think it'll be different for each of us, how we would nurture our past selves, you know, and just think like you are the mama elephant. So how can you mama elephant on this past version of you? And then the third part um, is to defend your wounded self from this asshole preceptor. Or, and it may have been a preceptor. Sometimes it's not like uh, some of the people who I felt wounded by were like fellow learners, some resident. There was one real big jerk in my medical school class who shamed me publicly one time. Sometimes it's like allied health, you know, like other people on the team. I can imagine if you are a nurse or if you are um, on a lower rung of the hierarchy bullshit hierarchy of our medical system and like a doctor shamed you, you know, like whoever it was. So yourself now going to that asshole and they're going to be, they're good people in other ways, I'm sure. But in this moment, they are an asshole. In your story, they are the villain, right? So we need to make sure that your wounded self knows, hey, I'm not going to let this happen to you again. 
you know, like someone needs to stand up and say, it was wrong how you treated her in my case, right? So that's that third part is actually also really critical. And then checking back in with the wounded self and just seeing what's there now, seeing if, if something else emerges, whether it's like, oh, finally I can let it go. Or if it's something like, wow, now I have a bit of a, a new perspective on something that's happening in my life today, right? Um, I don't, now that I know the lesson isn't about that I'm a bad person in some way, I have another lesson about what happened, you know? So checking back in because there can be a lot like just what happened now like this was live folks I just was like whoa actually I I have learned something by going through that exercise so yeah um unexpectedly I should have I could have guessed that it was going to be a bit heavy because this work is heavy and I'm going to always cry I cry at everything it's the best crying is so cathartic so um hey thanks for listening through I would really um, invite you to consider doing this for yourself. I would say this is one of the, like I shared the values exercise sometime recently, um, depending on when I post this. That's a very powerful exercise. And this one, this re-preceptoring, you know, a version of reparenting, this is a really powerful exercise too that I've experienced in various settings and it's just always so potent. And so I'm hopeful you will find it um, potent too. So check the show notes if you want like kind of a written script of the steps. If this is something you want to do with me, I would be so honored to do it with you. Um, possibly by the time this comes out, my like full program where you can, you know, guarantee several slots in a row may be full until the fall check if that's true when you go to my website but even if not um whatever spaces I have left you can book single sessions and this could be done like you could kind of process one of these in a single session and that could be really beautiful too so if you want my support on it I'm happy to support you and um yeah just sending you all lots of love like the way we were trained Honestly, there was things that were good about it, I'm sure. Let's give it some credit. But also, it was very insufficient. And certainly for these times, we need so much more. That's why I call my work restorative medical education. You know, it was, it's been my um, reframing of the CME that I find to be perpetuating the same bullshit. And instead, I want to actually start talking about the rest of how we need to educate ourselves and by which I mean to restore to ourselves, become human again, because that's actually what's going to get us anywhere in terms of um, reconnecting this disparate broken healthcare system and each other and to our patients. So I hope this was of service to you. I'm sending you all love. Have a great day. Hey there, healthcare humans. I want to invite you to sign up for my course, How to Stop Worrying About Your Patients. It's a free five-day email course delivered right to your inbox where I teach you why worrying is optional, that it's not actually helpful for your patients, and that it's possible to reclaim your brain from worry and start enjoying your life in and outside of medicine. Go to joanchanmd.com course to sign up now. I'll see you in your inbox.